broadcast time. The Aussies 0-2 We're on the bottom of the World Cup ladder. As it sits at the moment, there is a whole lot of issues to talk about. India-Pakistan on Saturday night. Afghanistan with a huge upset win at the World Cup. Then there's a heap of other things happening. Sheffield Shield round underway. Uh, we'll chat about our, our ponies, the cricket He's off to the Olympics, would you believe? And then there's a women's series that's complete. There's a whole WBBL season that's about to begin. And we're not even uh, halfway there of talking about everything that uh, there is to discuss in the cricket world. My name's Corbin Middlemass. My co-host is the former Australian opener himself, Ed Cowan. Hello, Teddy. Corb, long agenda today. I'm coming in hot, so get ready. I like it. Let's let's start uh, with the freshest stuff People will be listening to this on their way home tonight. And as we touched on last week, how perfect. What a lead into tonight and the uh, the Australians in action up against Sri Lanka. Of course, you can hear every game of the World Cup through the ABC Listen app. Just look out for that white cricket ball. Click on it. It says World Cup. You can listen to every single game, ball by ball, the Aussies and Sri Lanka. But the win last night for Afghanistan, led by the two guys that we know so well from the uh, BBL, of course, in uh, in Majib and, and Rashid Khan, taking six wickets between them. They put on 140. 14 for the first wicket and in the end made way too many for England and the reigning world champs are one and two to start the tournament and cough up a game to lowly Afghanistan in the third match of the tournament. Yeah, not as lowly as as probably many listeners probably think in these conditions. For those that did watch it, it was a bit of a clinic to get the Afghan innings off to a flyer. Gerbaz, I mean, BBL teams in Australia would be looking at that and kind of thinking, hmm, why doesn't he put his name forward in, into some kind of draft because that was an absolute clinic, as I said. Off to a flyer, a typical collapse of sorts brought on by a runout. 280 actually probably looked enough, particularly with the quality of the spinners that the Afghanis have. It was one of the few games that had me enthralled right throughout. England, hapless. Their medium paces in, in these conditions are looking pedestrian. Adil Rashid, great, but no other real kind of spin option. They're suffering from the same kind of issues it's, Australia that have is, with, with, with one spinner. That and is exactly it. That, there is so many similarities. There's so yeah, many similarities, isn't there, between England and Australia at the moment. And you mentioned, this, I think, in our first part about you know, the Australian team, it sort of uh, looks the same but smells different, and that's exactly England at the moment. All the same kind of names, and yet it just doesn't have the same kind of whiff about it than what they've had in the, the past you know, four to six years. Well, you've got to remember the last World Cup was obviously played in their home conditions. Uh, a lot of their one-day cricket is played in these in the same conditions that the last World Cup was played in, or all their home games at least. They come to Australia, there's pace and bounce in the wickets. They don't really have the dynamism with the ball. They're, they're very defensive. Obviously, Wood has some pace, Topley a little bit of pace, but he, he, if he's not swinging it, you're kind of licking your lips if you're, if you're facing it. And then without Ben Stokes, their batting just looks a little frail, which is odd to say because it's gone from powerhouse to to brittle uh, pretty quickly. The irony, too, of Ben Stokes not being available, so retires from 50-over cricket. Oh, I'm done with that. Everyone says, oh, sure, you'll just come back and play the World Cup. Tries to do the same thing, gets hurt, and as a result, is missing the first few games. And this is what England have, have had, by and large, obviously, over the, the past 12 months or so since he gave the, the format away. Uh, yeah, England are playing catch-up big time, so they've dropped the game. It's good for Australia, and it's it's good that the other teams that are in the mix to make the semifinals drop games because it, it actually lowers probably the amount of wins that you'll need. So instead yeah. of maybe being a, you know, six wins to get in, it probably means that if a couple of these sides drop a game or two and there, there are a couple of upsets, that you might even be able to sneak in with five, which would mean Australia would need to win five of their next seven as opposed to six of their next seven. 
Well, having lost seven of the last eight, five of the next seven still sounds like a big number, Corb. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, it is interesting, though, sort of in what order you play these teams. So New Zealand have a really nice win up front. Then they get a couple of soft touches. They've won three in a row, feeling good about themselves. Australia, and we can get to the Aussies and, and sort of pivot into this. Uh, just quickly on Afghanistan, Jonathan Trott, uh, who you know, used to play for England, of course, uh, now leading Afghanistan, scores a win against his, uh, his old nation. And did you see Sam Curran last night? So on the boundary, cameraman got a little too close for him at, uh, at Oran Jutley Stadium in, uh, in Delhi, and he turned around and pushed the cameraman away, which actually made for some, some really cool pitches. I actually thought it looked good as you were sitting at home and thought, oh, the screen I'm watching on has just been, just been rocked back by this uh, disgruntled uh, England bowler in the outfield. That, that was a, a very quick snapshot into where Sam Car- Curran's mind was at at the time, having served up a couple of 130K non-swingers that were being dispatched to every part of the stadium. Uh, yeah, that I mean that that's another case in point of of kind of medium pace and no bounce, no zip, no real um, ability to to crack into these Asian um, mm-hmm. kind of top and middle orders on, on wickets that are suiting them. So, but yeah, I mean, jo- in, interestingly, while we're talking about Jonathan Trott, has never stepped foot in Afghanistan yet. Coaches their national team who wow. sit and play at home, uh, but. Interesting. That team has has come together pretty well. Um, I'm, mate, might not be the last upset that the, that they put together. I'm with you though. I mean, I get it's cool because it's you know, England who have been the dominant white ball team uh, across you know both the 20 over and 50 over format over the last four years. But I don't think it's the best upset of all time in you know World Cup history. And as you said, particularly in the conditions that. Um, it, it says more about Afghanistan and their growth and what they're capable of, mm. I think, than it does about uh, England. But it's not as big as it is the island upsets, you know, when they beat England and Pakistan or or sort of mm. the, or the 83 final, obviously, going back to, to India's win there. But where, where do you have it sort of as a significant upset? Well, in a 10-team competition, there's there's less room for an upset if the top 10 teams are playing rather than, you know, 20th or, mm. or you know, beating one. Uh yeah, it's it's hard to gauge, but an upset's an upset. No one expected Afghanistan to win no. England, the reigning world champion. So I don't want to take anything away from it. I'm, I was pretty pumped up, but it was on like for, uh, 110 off the first 12 overs or something. I thought, oh, something's happening here. And then the ball started to turn, and and the Afghani's were in a little bit of a knot through the middle. I thought, oh, with three spinners, they might do a little bit of damage here. Interestingly, and this might be the segue you're after as the broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we flagged not so long ago. It was probably back in, in January and it's, it's come up again and there's no doubt, uh, maybe all this might ignite some discussion, but Australia zero and two having previously boycotted a three game series against Afghanistan saying that they weren't willing to play them given the human rights situation on education uh, and uh, females in the country. Are you expecting Australia to boycott a must-win World Cup game? Absolutely not. No. So I, what's the difference? To, to, walk me through this. Yeah. So one's an ICC tournament. So mm-hmm. the ICC allow them to play. Bilateral... Uh, morals. M- morals are morals, though. Yeah. How, how, but... is this, how is this any variation? 
So I, I can absolutely differentiate between the two. So I feel like one's a global tournament. You go there and you play all the teams that fall under the ICC's banner as a nation of world cricket. And yet bilateral series, as we know, are money spinners for the home nation, basically, and, and a chance to try and flog off some TV rights, of which Afghanistan aren't a huge draw. And if you don't agree with the way that they're running cricket, let alone their country, uh, they basically make a stand here and say, look, we don't feel the need that we need to promote Afghanistan cricket or do anything to try and push your cause when you're not pulling your weight as, a, as an ICC member. I think that's the other thing too. We can sit here and celebrate Afghanistan's men and talk about how awesome it is. Where's, how's their women's program going? Which is part of the you know, clause of them having a license uh, in, in world cricket is that they're meant to have a women's team and uh, we're, we're meant to ignore that uh, conversation while we also pump up all the time about how awesome it is for their, their men's side and, and what a breakthrough moment it is for global cricket. Yeah, so let's pick through this slightly uh, in a more nuanced fashion. That was, that was a good breakdown. So one thing that you've opened my eyes to is making a stand only is really worth making a stand if you're willing to lose something. And giving up three games of bilateral cricket is mere virtual signaling in in many respects if you're serious about making a stand isn't this the moment I, I, i'm playing devil's advocate yeah. here yeah because i guess my point is you got to be very careful about what you say yeah and how it plays out in the future and so i'm unsure that cricket australia should have come out and said what they did because now i think they look slightly silly yeah so i i feel like i can i don't know i can draw a line between the two and just to clarify i wouldn't say it's necessarily yeah, virtual signaling or it, it is much easier to make a stand when you don't have something to lose. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't think that immediately disqualifies the stand as you know, useless or... No, not useless. Or, no. or not doing the right thing or anything like that. It's, it's much harder to do the right thing when you have something to lose. There's no doubt about it. And that's why you know, people like Muhammad Ali are celebrated so much because he risked it all and basically put his whole career on hold where there'd be very few other athletes that would ever do that in the same kind of situation. And, and Australia, I guess you could make the case are, are in... The same position here, but it's the same as you know, India and Pakistan. So why are India playing Pakistan uh, at a global tournament when they won't play them any other time? It's basically, look, we'll play them there because we have to, and the rest of the time we're doing absolutely nothing to help Pakistan out. I think you've articulated it all very well. I was just mm. curious to, to hear your thoughts. I don't really have a view. I'm neither right nor wrong. Yeah. Um, not yeah. anyone is on, on, some, on something like this. I'm just throwing it out there as, as something that might become an issue in coming weeks. I actually saw another commentator talk to something similar last week. I thought it was probably time to, to flag it. Mm. So that would be, I think we'll have a show before then, won't we? So this week it'll be, uh, we've got Sri Lanka Pakistan. tonight and then Pakistan oh. on Friday before we chat again yeah. on Monday. So yeah, we'll, we'll edge closer. Um, I've got a whole lot to pick apart with you on uh, on India, Pakistan as well. And the event that took place on uh, on Saturday night and the dramatic end, obviously, to the, the Pakistan innings. But um, the, interestingly, there wasn't much conversation anywhere about the broader issue and uh, yeah, India versus Pakistan and the relations between the two countries. It certainly wasn't mentioned as part of the telecast at any stage um, yeah, about whether we're edging closer to them playing cricket against each other on a more regular basis or you know, the r- relations between the two countries almost like there, there was there's no impasse whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's interesting, particularly when you see the the players mingling and how happy they are to see each other and play against each other. It's it's all done at a political level. It's it's a very very tricky one. I mean, before we get on to the Aussies, maybe it's worth worth touching on this. I'm sure you saw Mickey Arthur's comments about 
it felt like they've taken the world out of the World Cup. This is a BCCI event, make mm. no mistakes about it, be it scheduling, ticketing, uh, venues. Like There's no no doubt that, it, you know, forget the capacity, but to play at uh, the stadium named after the Prime Minister, it was a political statement. They had this big, huge fiesta beforehand that wasn't televised because there was chaos over the the Bollywood rights issue. No one wanted to pay, or the BCCI didn't want to pay. The ICC didn't want to pay. The broadcasters didn't want to pay for all these Bollywood tunes. And so they didn't televise it. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, the great crowd for the first time this this series at uh, the Modi well, Stadium. There was... is, it a, is it a great crowd in the World Cup where the entire crowd is partisan? Yeah. Is, that a, is that what a World Cup's for? Uh, what, you're saying because we didn't have the pockets of, of the yeah, Pakistan so I think, fans? I think back to the MCG fixture. Yeah. When you had the... It, that the, was cool. The, the beautiful tension of the, yep. the Pakistanis and, and the Indians yep. you know, being incredibly respectful. And uh, mm. obviously it can't happen in India, but... I, I probably have changed my view a little bit on it all, even since visiting there and sort of chatting to people. And that was one of the first things I asked a lot of people when I was over there. Yeah, India, Pakistan, when are they going to get together, play more regularly? There was that article, which I felt was a little pie in the sky about, oh, we should play a Pakistan v. India test at the MCG, for example. And that would be, be great and everything else. But... Um, I mean, this exists so much at a higher level, doesn't it, than cricket? But I guess we always come back to the the conversation is what role does cricket play in it? So even if you enter the country, say if you're an Australian and you're going to visit India, you will have to fill out a bunch of questions on your visa about whether your ancestors are from Pakistan, whether you have visited Pakistan recently. And if you tick any of those boxes, basically your visa gets pushed to one side and good luck. You need somebody to try and usher it through, which is why... Usman Khawaja's visa was delayed when he went there recently and why we've seen a lot of you know, working media and fans not be able to, to get into India for this World Cup. So that's at a government level, which is so high. And there's people particularly in the uh, with the Modi administration in power at the moment, they feel like none of that is changing anytime soon. So if you're cricket, what's, what's your responsibility to basically say, hey, we, we want to play Pakistan a bit more and we want to get this event up and going, knowing full well that it is not the wishes of those who are in power at, at, at the time. Well, yes and no. The government is the BCCI and, and the inverse is true. Basically, every member of the BCCI has been a government official, has some connection to the Prime Minister in some capacity. He's been um, the president of, of the Cricket Association. If any sport could have some kind of breakthrough, it would be cricket. And if- so... I actually would say the inverse of what you're saying is true. So you're saying this is completely, but it feels like it's completely at the foot of India to decide whether they want to do it or not. That Pakistan have, have certainly publicly shown, uh, you know, moves to towards making it happen in the past, and they they haven't been reciprocated. No, I agree with that. Mm. Anyway, if you've if you're half hour into this podcast and you're wondering why we haven't spoken about the Australian <laughs> cricket team, that's because Just, we're both in such distress. Yeah. Uh, after the last fixture, maybe it's the time to to give a quick debrief on the comedy of errors that is currently the Australian ODI team. What I was nudging to before was about sort of who you play when in the tournament. I feel like, and obviously I tip South Africa to win it all, I feel like we've played the two best teams. So let's just put that straight out there on front street. But it feels like the issues, though, with the Australian team isn't so much the results, but it's the way that we've played and how listless the teams looked in the first two matches. Brittle with the bat and then complete with um, yeah, a pretty ordinary bowling performance um, in uh, in Lucknow in game two. Oh, don't forget the catching. 
That was part of it, yeah. The bowling and the fielding, which uh, is so uncharacteristic, isn't it, for an Australian team? Is it uncharacteristic? So since January 1, Australia has taken basically one in two catches in ODI cricket. It's the lowest of any nation competing in this tournament. It's even lower than Scotland, who aren't competing in the tournament, and on par with Nepal. Which is, so is, yeah. is it is it uncharacteristic historically, perhaps, of this team? Maybe not. Mm. Which, what, January 1 includes, what, a series, three-game series in South Africa, or five-game series in South Africa and a couple of lead-up ODIs. Yeah. Yeah. But... The point, the, the point stands that mm. this team's out of form. Yep. Seven out of eight games. I agree they've played the best two teams. You know what, though? I think Sri Lanka are licking their lips tonight, thinking this is ripe for the taking. Depending on conditions, uh, and again, we've seen Australia not make the most of conditions, having won the toss twice against the two strongest teams. They've done the exact opposite of what they should have done. And so I'm not so sure that the confidence in the team, I'm not writing them off. The confidence, which is the greatest commodity in sport, in my view, is at a level that, in fact, can make a run at this because they're going to have to still beat some good teams to get through particularly some Asian teams in these conditions that know how to attack an Australian middle order. You, you, you go spin heavy, even if it's not turning, it's not as though that we have adapted our skills to do anything but step hit. Smith's probably the only one who's willing to use their feet. Few people can paddle, but we're in a bit of trouble with how we're attacking these middle overs. Can I just hit on, I'll pick that up in a moment. Just hit on the fielding, which you touched on quickly. And surely, Ed, you've played at this level. This has got to be purely a mental thing, doesn't it? You you don't forget how to field or forget how to catch overnight at that level. No, you don't. I think it's a a confidence thing, but it's Mm -hmm. also an, an attitudinal thing. And so I don't, without being part of the team, you don't know how hard they're working on it because that's usually sometimes the first, you know, when... And this might play into a greater narrative that we can talk to, but a hard-nosed coach never lets fielding slip. Everyone does fielding and you do it for an hour every session. No excuses. And you get run into the ground, doesn't matter if it's hot, humid, freezing, snowing. I can remember Tim Coyle uh, making us do slips catches in minus one degree on a hockey field in the middle of winter in Tasmania. Hard-nosed coach, fielding was a priority. The first thing to slip Players don't love fielding training, as you can imagine. Particularly in tournaments, your hands get sore and, you know, it's 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 just easy to do 20% less. And so I don't know if they're doing the work. Um, but I can imagine a situation where where maybe they're not putting in as, as many yards around fielding as they could at the intensity that they potentially could be. I feel like the coach has never been as big a storyline or narrative since Langer came along, that it was Langer's team. Sort of forget the days where the the captain ran the show and we spoke endlessly about Justin Langer. And now that he's passed, it feels like when, as we always say, the team wins, the players are great and Australian cricket's going well and we never hear about who coaches the side and then the team loses and it's, oh, it would have been better when Justin Langer was there and it's all changed a little bit. But it it is a very different coaching philosophy, isn't it? Where And the, the team goes through different peaks and troughs, as we talk about all the time. And they were in a stage where they needed a hardline coach and Langer came along. And then they probably went through a period where they thought, hang on, let's have a look around the dressing room. We're all, you know, got a bit of, um, you know, had a bit of wear on the tyres. We've been around a long period of time. Everyone knows what they're doing. Let's just get someone in that's, you know, a bit more of a you know, mad manager that can come in and, and sort of uh, be a little less sort of hands-on 
and feel less helicopter parenting as such. Uh, and now all of a sudden McDonald comes in and you're saying what you feel like some of those things are, are starting no, so to that, show. That, that that could be an option. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers. No. Uh, so. But they generally go inside. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the social clip. But yeah. I'm just saying that that is one area that, that can sometimes slip. The other is hard selection decisions. Yeah. We've got people playing three formats of the game. I, I mean, the big... And I said I was coming in hot. The big thing on my mind is 12 months ago, Aaron Finch was still captaining this team. So if we were serious about performing at the World Cup, surely two and a half years ago, you changed the captain. You're willing to uh, blood some players. We've got a 37-year-old opening batter. We're still stuck with the same team. Manus is batting in the middle order. Where are? What is the philosophy around this team? Because... And you said it again, same team, different smell. Are we not breeding the players? Maybe that's the issue. But people like Nathan Ellis, who has been in around the team and done particularly well, but excluded. Uh, we've got one spinner, knowing that a World Cup was going to be in India. How has how the philosophy developed to peak at a World Cup? As opposed to, this is a format, maybe they don't care, but come out and say it. Don't, don't treat us like idiots mm. and wait for us to get upset after a World Cup. Either say it, it matters and make it matter, or the vice uh, the vice versa could be true as well. But uh, I think we need to be honest around the preparation, the selection. Maybe it's time to split white ball and red ball, both players yeah. and coaches. There's a whole range of kind of meta issues here that that kind of get brought up because it's it's not just the last two games. It's actually... It's actually bigger than bigger than that in my mind. Yeah, that that's the thing that stands out, doesn't it? The splitting of the programs, and maybe that's the way to go. It was interesting to hear Alyssa Healy, who was on Offsiders yesterday, and she gave voice to that, basically saying it's time to prioritise the formats of the game, which was interesting, not just the fact that she's a professional cricketer, but she's also the wife of Mitchell Stark, of course, who is a three-format player in the country at the moment, and almost gave voice to the fact that there is a sense of fatigue, which it feels like we can see as you watch this team, which has a, a listless performance, and deciding you know, which format they play. It's been a big year, but at the same time, who's going to turn around to Pat Cummins or David Warner or Mitchell Stark or whoever it may be and say, mate, we don't think you're, you're actually, you should play the World Cup. We're, we're going to pull you out of the 50-over World Cup, even though it's a once-in-a-four-year event. Might happen twice, three times in your professional career. Uh, because we think you're too tired. So you're going to get, come and basically have time off during this period. The players clearly haven't made the choice for themselves. So now we're asking someone to tap certain guys on the shoulder and say, look, we, we don't think uh, you're part of it for, what, for your own good going forward, for the good of the Australian cricket team. Who, who decides you know, what formats they play and what they get to prioritise? So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I guess my point is that maybe the same players aren't what's best for the team. So forget that they're tired. Mm-hmm. and their performances reflect that, are we sure that this is, in fact, the best bespoke squad that we can put together for a 50-year World Cup in India? And so maybe the structure looks like separate coach, separate selectors, and a chair of selectors overseeing both programs. Uh, and that way you can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together for the cross-format players. They can't be in silos. But at the moment, um, I'm unsure that there's a holistic philosophy for each format Hmm. and that then gets transferred into a whole program. It's just not clear to me. Maybe there is. It's just not clear to me. Yeah. 
I mean, interestingly, the guys they picked are all your name brand players, and they're all the guys that the world loves that have the IPL contracts that are used to playing in the conditions that have had success there in the past. You know, whether it's a Hazelwood, Stark, Zampa, Mitch Marsh, Stoinis, you know, Warner, all these guys have been, you know, IPL regulars over a long period of time. So they're used to playing in the conditions. I mean, who are the who are the obvious guys that have been overlooked or that we haven't included? I mean, yes, it's yeah, you know, it's clear that they look tired and they don't look like the best version of themselves. But as a I'm name more, on I'm paper... I'm thinking more of the batters, to be honest. Uh, I know it's easy to pick on the bowlers because they're the ones that, that tire the easiest. They're doing the hard work, let's, mm-hmm. let's be honest. But we can get back to... We've replaced uh, injured... Um, we've got one one spinner. There's a spinner over there in Tanvir Sanger. You know, kind of as cover for Travis Head, but... You know, the the whole like-for-like like situation um, is tricky. We replaced basically Travis Head, who bowls spin with Marnus, you know, opening dynamic opening batter with a, a you know, a middle-order batsman who's not known for their ability to, to really break a game apart. So tactically, I'm just not, I'm just not sure. Mm. It's the, the interesting part about tonight's matchup too, and without trying to sort of get too deep in the weeds in this, because I know there will be some people listening to us while uh, after the game's been completed, but it, it feels like Sri Lanka's strength is clearly their batting. So in their two defeats, and this is the difference between Australia and Sri Lanka right now, both teams are 0-2, and yet Australia is 0-2, having played not very good cricket and looked a long way off it, haven't been competitive in their two games. And Sri Lanka's 0-2 while being in both their matchups. Uh, South Africa hit a record score against them, but they still made 300-plus batting second, and they also put up a a big score in their other game as well. So they've made 300-plus twice. So their batting is their strength. Their bowling is a little bit off it. There's no Hasaranga. There's no Chimera. Danish Shanaka, their captain, is going to miss tonight's game as well. So they are depleted. They're missing sort of three key bowling options. Uh, And so their bowling struggles against our batting, and our batting traditionally has struggled, and we've seen that a couple of collapses already this series. And their strength is they're batting up against our bowling, which previously you would say is a strength, but hasn't seemed to have the same cut through in these conditions as, as what we're used to from an Aussie attack. Yeah. Well said. One issue that we haven't touched on is the dropping of Alex Carey. So we probably should have hit that off the top because it plays into this conversation around selection philosophy. What, what do you make of someone who's played as the keeper for the last three years, one World Cup game in, dropped? Yep, got to be more going on. So it feels like you put your finger in the wind and you chat to people in and around the team that people keep raising this thought bubble around what happened in the ashes and the stumping. And Alex Carey is a personality type. He's a nice guy out of anyone in that Australian team where you think he would play the role of the pantomime villain. You would have thought the last guy it would have been would be Alex Carey. He's the nice, friendly guy behind the stumps, barely says a word, and yet he's dressed up in front of world cricket as somehow this villain because of the stumping of Bairstow. Crowds at him the whole time, and the commentary has certainly been around. Yeah, he hasn't looked like himself since then. And then all of a sudden, they take him to a World Cup where he's held it down as the 50 over keeper for a long period of time, plays one game, and they boot him from the team. So. Maybe they know more than what we do as to how he's going you know, behind the scenes and maybe there's some truth to, to that speculation that it did have an impact on him and he hasn't been the same version of himself since. It's an interesting narrative. I don't know the answer. Not close enough to, to really dig into that. Oh, it surely, wasn't... surely you can say though one game at the start of a tournament is not enough to make a decision oh, so I agree based, with that. based on his oh, form. Sorry. The, the decision oh, no. has to be made on something else. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, yeah. So going back to the underlying decision, I, it blows me away. Um, because if, if this was something that you were potentially planning for, again, you do it well in advance. Yeah. It, it, it does suggest some kind of narrative that you're playing to, but at the same time, also know he's a, a bloody tough bugger. Uh, 99 of you know four or five games ago in in South Africa, it's not like he's totally out of sorts, and it's not as though Josh Inglis is absolutely knocking the house down to to get in that team. So from the outside in, without your narrative, it reeks of panic. Whether they just had to make some kind of an adjustment after the first yeah. game, but potentially, and and you know there's pressure on. On the wicket keeper, there's a, there's only one of them in the team. Um, if they aren't performing as a linchpin, then you know balance of the team. I don't know. I, it, it was just so out of left field. The other his dismissal in uh, the first game was what out sweeping again, wasn't it? Which is how he got out all the time in the India Test series as well. So maybe there was an aspect they saw that and thought, "Gee, we're not doing this again." The, the whole way through the tournament, and he's paid the price. Which the, the wicket keeper getting dropped for his batting. Probably signals there's a few deeper issues uh, above him in the batting lineup than uh, than by the time we get down to the keeper. Yeah, well said. Uh, six for sixty six we lost against India to be all out for one nine nine, and then six for forty three against South Africa to be all out one seven seven. So well, the- collapses going on in the whole tournament. I mean, Pakistan were what two for one hundred and fifty and cruising eight for thirty six uh, or something. Eight lose eight for thirty six. So the conditions are not. I, I definitely think it is hard across the board to start in the middle and wickets aren't holding up probably as well as we thought they would. What about Pat Cummins saying, I'm finding it difficult to read the pitches here? Mm. After he denied that they got the toss wrong in game one, moments after, uh, and they've sort of gone one of each. So he's won the toss in both games once he decided to to bat, the other time he's decided to field. It's, is it interesting though that the captain would come out and acknowledge that given... Yeah, he's one guy, but there's a whole team there and support staff and everyone else that have had plenty of experience playing in India over a long period of time. Yeah, the, I think that's the call out here is, A, there's a heap of data at, at all these stadiums uh, for this time of year. There's a heap of, of brains in in the room that play a lot of cricket in India and have done. I think we know for sure that, unfortunately, a lot of the the data, the internal data Australia would have in terms of in their minds would be T20 cricket in the IPL. And and these are not IPL wickets. The IPL wickets are made for entertainment, slap and dash, high scores. These are not necessarily those wickets. Plus, there's obviously more cricket to play. So they're just not holding up. You, you can see the the wickets that look good to start with, even last night in the, the India-Afghanistan, you know, watch the first 10 overs and you think it's a road. All of a sudden, the spinners come on, the ball starts, um, you know, not just turning, but gripping, really gripping. And the same in the the India-Pakistan fixture. Absolutely beautiful to bat on until Burma starts taking the pace off it. So, who knows? Again, hard to comment from from Sydney, Australia. Uh, I was geeking out the other night watching India-Pakistan. I was lucky enough to to work the game here in Melbourne when they obviously played at the, uh, the last World Cup in the 20-over format, but... Uh, Ravindra Jadeja bowling to 
Baba Azam. Is, is there a better matchup just about in, in world cricket Heaven. at the moment in, in the white ball format? <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. Oh, it's just. I, I was, you're, you're, you're into your veins. Oh, no. I was, I was watching it the other night. I thought, is, is there, like, who would I rather watch bowl mm. to who would I rather watch bat at the moment in world cricket? The best matchup you could possibly say. He's. Uh, he's they're both absolute pros at what happy they to do. Ta- happy to take yeah. suggestions from the audience. Yes. Uh, send us send us some through during the week. Absolutely. Best matchups in world cricket you can create. Uh, so Australia, Sri Lanka tonight. ABC Listen app. Uh, click on the white cricket ball for the World Cup button. You can hear every game of the tournament uninterrupted. Then tomorrow night at Durham Charlotte, we've got South Africa and the Netherlands. Once that happens, every team's played three games. So it's, it works well in a cycle. It's almost like unofficial rounds, doesn't it? We sort Love of, it. Yeah. Loving cricket on the TV every night. Yep. You're right. There, there's, a, there's a feeling of continual rounds on a weekly basis. One uh, big talking point in the tournament overall, and I mentioned the Kiwis may have had a couple of soft touches. Kane Williamson can't take a trick. So guy comes yeah. back from a knee injury, gets hit from an outfield throw on the thumb, and he's got a fracture after making 78, retires hurt, and now he's going to miss, really, the, the lion share of the tournament. He's, he's hopeful of being back by the semi-final stage, but they're going to have to do it without him, the Black Caps, but they are three and zip to start. So give me the semi-finalists. Any change to your semi-finalists that you presented? Yes, I don't, I don't reckon I had New Zealand in mine. So I had England, India, Australia, and South Africa. So I'm going to need to make some changes there, aren't I? Let me take out the Aussies and put New Zealand in. Oh, early call. Maybe I'll hold one more week with the Aussies. Let me take out England and put New Zealand in. That gives me New Zealand, India, Australia, South Africa as my final so, four. What have so you got? From memory, I was India, Pakistan, Australia, England. Yep. You can put a line through Pakistan, I think. I'm still holding on. I'm 50-50. Done with, 50 done with Pakistan. After, after, these, uh, after these fixtures. They need a win both, don't they? Got to beat Sri Lanka, got to beat Pakistan. And if, if we can win those, I think we're back in the tournament. But uh, I think you're right. Well said. Yep. So I'll, uh, I've will got to get the Kiwis in there. They're off to a flying start. All right. That's the Cricket World Cup stuff to one side for the time being. Anything else? Not for me. No. Cricket at the Olympics. Are we doing this now? So it looks like the LA 2028 and then uh, on to Brisbane in 2032. We are going to have T20 cricket for both the men and the women at the Olympic Games, but the early word is it's just going to be a six-team tournament to start in 2028. So is, that, is that right? Six-team, a six, six, team, a six, six as in one, which means 50% of the teams get a medal and make it onto the podium at, uh, oh. at the end of the Olympics. Is that just infrastructure-based? Oh, yeah, apparently. I, I don't know. The, the whole idea of cricket at the Games, isn't it, that you have – China and USA, right. and that and, these big and nations get, the funding get, to... get funding from the governments and everything else. Where did you read that? I'm going to take that on notice. Maybe we can talk about this yep. week. That, I mean, that blows my mind. Well, it's basically a demonstration sport in, in that case. You'd be better off playing it on, on synthetic grass and, and actually trying to get as many teams as possible. Yep. That's it's, crazy. It's flattening, isn't it? So that is, that's the early – I need to find a um... – because uh, one thing on on my mind around the uh, the Los Angeles games was it was a chance to put some major infrastructure into the states. You know, Major League Cricket now has Dallas. They're looking for more grounds. They've got North Carolina. There's a World Cup there. It, it does open up the West Coast as a venue for international cricket and bigger tournaments and the Major League Cricket specifically. So. Uh, 
dear. That, I mean, that's just such an error. Mm. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, uh, we'll off, come back to it. Yeah, Otherwise, off, it would have been great. Off ESPN, the Los Angeles Games proposals for a six-team 2020 tournament for men and women. T20 is the shortest format of the game. Blah, blah, blah. We are ready to welcome the world's best players to perform in the United States in 2028. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not what we'd we'd hoped for, but uh, looks like cricket's on the way to the Olympics. People are making the case saying, oh, if it's not the pinnacle for the sport like it is for tennis, why would it even be there? I think there's still some worth, isn't there, though, in having cricket at the games. It's another thing on the schedule. We're sitting here talking about how overcrowded the schedule is, but it's still good for the game broadly, particularly if we can get funding into some of those you know, developing nations, which would mean we need an expanded tournament, certainly for Brisbane and, and hopefully for you know, Olympics down the track. Well, that's the only benefit of cricket being in the Olympics is so that the developing nations do get yeah. funding. It's a great way for the associate countries to play on an even keel without having to qualify through a whole range of, yep. of various means. I just, I don't get it. You know how every now and then we can be accused of just being a little bit cynical and sceptical of things? Maybe the IOC looks at what happened the other night with uh, India versus Pakistan and thinks, geez, that'll... That'll up the television ratings in that part of the world. And our tournament, that which we put on and don't pay the labour, all of a sudden we can flog it off and make huge money on the television deals in, uh, in South Asia and in a whole new way. And that'll be great for the Olympic Games. Not a bad thought bubble. Yeah. I did the ODI series, uh, Ed, between Australia and the West Indies, which wrapped up at Junction Oval on Saturday. Must be said, sort of uh, marked by its brevity, the whole series. So a possible 300 overs. 350 over games. We got 115 across the three different matches. So second shortest non-rain affected women's ODI ever in Australia in game one up in Brisbane. Then we had the first match abandoned in a women's ODI in Australia since 2012 in game two. And then the last game, Australia able to, to run down the target within 15 overs and another short one. And we're all done inside 115 overs. It wasn't much of a spectacle. No. Sad. I mean, that kind of plays into this wider conversation we consistently have around T20 cricket and and it being a great leveller, particularly in, in women's cricket, the West Indies just not being able to match it for any longer than a s- split second, really, with the Aussies. It was, I mean, the, I know they were missing the best player, but no one wants to see those kind of results. Not good for the game. No. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing was interesting to note that Meg Lanning played WNCL on the weekend. Yeah. So she's played four, she's had four hits since coming back, three of them half centuries. I'm interested that she's back playing cricket and she's back playing for Victoria as opposed to back playing in the national team. And I wonder whether that was her decision or whether that was Australia's decision to say, hey, you've been out of cricket for a long time. It'll be a good idea to come back, have a few hits. And then we'll bring you back into the in the team in the you know long run, rather than a couple of returns, a couple of absences, and now she's she's had to return through domestic cricket rather than being a, a walk up start back in the in the national team. I think she's a walk up start, but I think as you mentioned, it's about managing her workload, and so you know just enjoying the game again, back in domestic cricket around people, you know, kind of off Broadway, so to speak. You know, no crowds, no TV, can just get back to the feeling of playing cricket without that pressure of playing for Australia. So I, I quite like the the tactics. Now, the Aussie women are off to India, so th- this will absolutely blow you over, Ed, but there is a tour of India coming up, and they haven't actually announced the dates or the venues <gasps> yet, the BCCI. So 
It's it's uh, amazing that uh, that India would operate in this fashion, and there's other things going on at the moment. But uh, December and January is when the Aussie team are going there. It's expected to be at the Wankati Stadium, which is really cool. So that will be Australian India. That's the sole women's test, and it'll be the multi-format series, three ODIs, three T20s. It'll be the first women's test that India has hosted since 2014. So. Nine, almost ten years uh, since they uh, they hosted a, a test match in Australia. We'll, we'll get the chance to tour there. What's going to be a loaded summer. So they've already had the West Indies, then the trip to India, middle of the summer, and then they'll play South Africa in uh, in January, February. Can't wait. Mm. Good place to go for the Aussie women's team because they got a whole lot of spinners, which uh, is good in those <laughs> conditions. <laughs> that is true. Alana King and Jess Johnson, who wasn't even playing on the weekend, and Georgia Wareham and Amanda Jade Wellington, who can't get a look in at the moment. And the women's bash begins, Ed, on uh, Thursday night. So all starts, sixes up against the Stars. Of course, the Adelaide Strikers, the defending champs, ready to roll again. Are you at level of excitement levels for the upcoming domestic season? Well, the domestic season's upon us. I'm, I'm pumped for the WBBL. I still think every time I look at these teams, I think how do the Sixers not win every single game? Well, they did win every single game by the final last year, but mm. it's a team action-packed, full of stars. Uh, some great internationals, are, as we've touched on in previous episodes, are, are here for for the whole season. I know you don't love the October-November time slot, but I actually quite like the, mm. the airspace it creates. So looking forward to... Yeah, getting out there. There's a double header. I think the 25th at North Sydney Oval. I'll, I'm going to go check out. Ooh, nice. Uh, and our Shield Ponies. Which do you know what a pony yeah, is? I do. Player yeah. of national interest. Ah, it's this is is this the buzz term that people are using in cricket uh, circles at the moment? A while. It, it's it's been going on for a while. I feel like I'm hearing it more and more. Oh, the ponies, which uh, we've we've tried to adopt here in the ABC Sport offices, and Ben Cameron's been throwing around a few shield ponies. You're an ABC Sport pony. Yeah, you're a, you're a, you're a bony actually. You're a broadcaster of national interest. Uh, Ed, Matt Renshaw. I've gone all red. Um, uh, at being called a bony. Uh, Matt Renshaw. Hey, this this guy has a bizarre record. So I was looking through his numbers the other day. He still averages in the 30s in first class cricket, and now has 20 first class hundreds. Quite all a before, few of those are for Somerset, though. So all before his 30th birthday. I, I mean. Listeners of the pod know that I'm all over Matt Renshaw. I still mm. think he's got 70 test matches in him. Forget whether it's Bancroft or Renshaw. I mean, they're both great players. The real conversation is why are we having the conversation? Because they're going to pick Dave Warner. He's going to get some fairy tale of sorts, rightly or wrongly. And We need an opener in January, though. Sorry? We need an opener in January. So he's going to play the first three tests, and then he says he's done after the Sydney test. Then we got two to come in, in Adelaide and Brisbane. So we will need a new opener at some stage. Mm-hmm. That's true, but uh, I, I guess we get we're just getting all lathered up on yeah. the you know middle of October. Um, so he is making a case. I think I've made the point. I actually think they've made it clear that he's next in line after Harris. They're they're keen on on Harris being next. The pecking order is Harris, um, Renshaw, Bancroft. Has this done anything to displace Marcus Harris? I don't think so. Uh, if he gets another two hundreds, potentially, it, he's someone that could could really crack it open. Oh, just watching the highlights, the quality of the runs. I don't know if you saw him bat against New South Wales last week, but he, you know, Jackson Bird, or not, although not at the peak of his powers, is still a very good bowler. He was making him look pedestrian at mm-hmm. best. He was picking him off his toes. He was cover driving. He had had it on a string. So 
um, a fine player. Uh, and Jordan Silk, by the way, who was 99 not out when we um, uh, went you? to record this. So, yeah, it's, it's a, he's had a... Listener of the pod, Silky, couple mate. of the Tassie boys. He's had a, a couple of centuries last season, yeah. got one in the one-day format and, and now gets one uh, here for uh, for Tasmania as well. So, well done to, uh, to Jordan Silk. Proud of you, Jordan. Uh, we got a bounce. I'm, I'm getting booted out of the studio. So, it's, okay. uh, it's you tell we've got to the end of our record time. But uh, great to chat, Teddy. Huge two games for Australia this week. We'll see how it all pans out, and we'll chat next Monday. Thanks, Corb. Can't wait. Good luck tonight.